Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so we finally made it. Yes, it's the end of another season and the end of our, I mean, I say our, I probably mean my, don't I hear, uh, fifth year of who got the assist. Uh, this season it's been 39 pods, 42 if you count the summer specials, two co-hosts, and it was another milestone as we hit the changing of the guard at pod 200 when Harry came on. And this pod 211 is another milestone as uh, Lucy is about to take over from Harry. Uh, but this is pod 211 that we've done, which probably works out about 250 hours of me talking effectively um, <laughs> over the course of the last five years. But this season alone, it's north of 3,000 minutes or 50 hours of chat delivered to your ears, all mostly from me. So if you stuck with that and generally stuck with me throughout the season, I can give you my heartfelt thanks uh, for listening. And I can honestly say this is the first year where I'm kind of glad that it's uh, all over, albeit there was one final exciting day on the last day, which gave me a reason or reminded me at least that fantasy football can be a great barrel of laughs every now and again. Speaking of barrel of laughs, a great fun was had at game week 38. The FPL meets in London on uh, Sunday. Incredible turnout. I think we got about 70, 80 managers, something like that, Harry. And I was a little bit worse for wear towards the end. I'm glad we didn't do this pod on Monday because I'd have sounded incredibly hoarse or as my girlfriend says, like a man. <laughs> and, and I hope I was able to speak to everybody who was there um, before that aforementioned getting worse for wear. Uh, but yes, I had the pleasure of meeting up with Harry, for whom this is his swan song, as I mentioned, um, as co-host, having gainly stepped in to great effect, picking up the mantle from Anthony. What seems like quite a while ago now, but it's only about 11 pods, wasn't it? How are you doing, Harry? Yeah, good, thank you. Time has flown by. Unlike you, I could have done with a couple more game weeks, both because I've enjoyed being on the pod so much, but also I've had quite a few good game weeks on the bounce that I might have hit my targets if we'd have had an extra couple of game weeks. But we'll get into all of that in the usual parts of the pod before we go into a little bit more of a reflection of the season today. So we are Who Got This Is? You can find Tom at WGTA underscore FPL. You can find myself at FPL underscore Harry. We will do season reviews, the final mini league roundup announcements for next season we'll talk about the key features of this season the key sort of differences maybe over the previous season and then what we've got planned or what tom and lucy have planned for the summer as well so yes as tom mentioned this will be my final pod unless he invites me back on as a guest at any point next season but see i see them shaking their heads so this this will likely be it um, but i'm passing the baton on to lucy at lucy Hynett on twitter hello everyone um, I'm here on the basis of the season. I'm not sure why I'm here or, or why Tom indeed invited me. And he's wondering exactly the same thing, but he's too polite to say so. And Harry's thinking, well, good. I've got no competition whatsoever. 
Um, but I shall make up for a lack of points with some enthusiasm, at least for now, for the summer. And then, you know, we can just sit in a barrel of depression for the next few months thereafter. But I'm looking forward to it. Yes, good. And I hope you're looking forward to it, that's for sure. I'm really looking forward to having you on. And we'll get into the sort of mushy goodbye stuff in uh, just a little bit but first let's do the end of season reviews let's kind of mention how we did in game week 38 maybe give a little bit of an overview of uh, how we've done i suspect that i've come bottom of the three of us i think i'm sure lucy you, you know you're saying done badly probably not as badly as me on the final day i've got 84 minus four and um, i brought in vardy and Vissa. I sold Saka and Rashardison, so that went okay. Um, overall, pretty decent day. Martinelli, um, who I started, got 12 points um, elsewhere. Pretty decent returns all around. Uh, Captain Kane over some, um, so it could have scored a little bit higher. But yeah, overall, 220k, another year in the wilderness for me, sadly. Um, I'm not going to make a sob story excuse, but I will reveal that I've been a little bit emotionally checked out since my partner and I had a bit of a personal tragedy in February. It really put everything in perspective a little bit. And um, if it wasn't for the pod new listeners, I think I probably wouldn't have kept playing this year. But I mean, that aside, it was still a difficult season, popped up by COVID and also as usual, some bad 50-50s. So you'll remember if you've been listening to me from the very start of the year that I identified three overriding objectives, tried to plug my gaps from last year and try to you know, sort out the fact that every season I seem to be on the worst side of a 50-50 or two or three, which messed up primarily with captaincies. So objective one was captain with Mikel's algorithm. Last year, I managed 484 captain points, which gave me a strike rate of around 60% with my captain picks, so returning above seven points. So I decided, you know what? This is a huge weakness. I'm going to outsource it to somebody who knows better than me. Did it work? No, no, it didn't. So I nested out with slightly more captaincy points scored, actually, because there were more captain points scored over the course of season 566. But my strike rate went down from 60% to 50%. So basically tossing a coin is what the algorithm got me this season. I don't blame the captaincy pick of this, of course. You know, you've got to use your brain more than I was. But through the recommendations of it, several key 50-50s didn't go my way. For example, Kai Havertz, Six points versus Mo Salah, 48 points in game week nine. Antonio, 18 points versus Bowen, 42 points in game week 21. And buying Ronaldo, who scored four points over Bruno, who scored 46 in game week 22. Those aren't the only instances, but that's a massive 108 point swing through those three calls, for example. And that's a tip of the iceberg, but those are points I'm never going to bring back. A couple other things to mention as well. At fploptimize.com, FPL certouts thing is quite useful just for seeing how else you've done. I took a few hits this season. I said, said last year, but it went well for me. This season, I've come up positively again through doing the hits, but it's who I took the hits on, if that makes sense. So buying in Rudiger over Reese James and going with the form players. Yeah, it's a really tough thing to be able to do. I think that's a bit of a ropey objective as my third one. I begin to think, guys, about next season. Uh, my head is still a swathe of lamenting those missed opportunities. So, for example, Harry, I said last week, I had Zaha or Madison that I could have brought in for game week 37 to be the captain. Like, my, I just think I've probably missed out on like 60 points there, haven't I, easily. And I'm wondering what to do next. Obviously, I want to get my mojo back next year. And uh, I feel like the common denominator of the last five years has been being on Twitter, sadly, and using it to promote my pod. Uh, I think the sad truth is that I'm, I'm quite profoundly suggestible and I've lost my ability to make bold calls through, you know, FOMO and things like that. I'm not playing to the gallery as much anymore, but I think that seeing what everyone else is doing, it restricts me from making those kind of pseudo maverick moves that 
the non-FOMO decisions I made in the years past, unencumbered by the Twitter firehose that pushed me on that trajectory. So, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, I don't know. I'll I go away and think about it over, over summer, but it wasn't the best year for me, unfortunately. Oh, I can. I'll go next. Um, a good season for me, to say the least. I got 80 points on the final day with a minus four. I brought in Harry Kane and Mason Mount and trying to, I took out Salah and Richarlison as well. So I didn't actually gain very much with that minus four because Salah came on and got his goal and Kane Kane ended up with 10. But Son, 24, Kulusevski, 16 were the real real winners for me. Having Kulu uh, was the real winner. And then Robertson with that last minute goal gave me a, a final push up to about 1.3K. So back to back. Top 5K finishes, not meaning to sound too arrogant, Ooh. but I'm quite happy with that. So quite pleased over the past couple of years. Don't quite know necessarily I've been quite lucky. I think a lot of the calls you went through, like I happened to be on the right side of them. Like I had Ronaldo, I had Bowen captain, I had Salah captain. I think the only one I got wrong was about last week when I went Ings over Charleston. So mm. yeah, being pretty lucky. And if I had gone the other way, then I'd be a lot lower down than I am. But got to count my chickens that it's gone gone well for me this year hoping to make it a hat trick in the top 10k next year nice you've managed to escape the curse on the podcast. just kind of reflects it back onto me for a fourth year fifth year even which is uh, incredibly depressing and lucy about to come on i assume that actually the Maybe it's just gone to you and just skipped Harry entirely. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to assume that's what it is. So game week 38, I got 77 minus four. Bought in Mountain Tony, who were horrible flops. To really rub it in, I bought Mountain for Coutinho, who obviously scored that goal against Man City. So really that just kind of rubbed in the ongoing disaster that was my uh, season. The only thing I would like to say at this point, and I will say it more further in the, in the pod, Matty, what a legend pulled me in a whole load of points over the last eight mm. weeks and um, without him I really would be even further down than the 119,000 that I'm at which represents the worst season I've had in the last nine years um, down from 403 last season so that's that's quite a plummet um, so I'm going to struggle to be balanced about the season um, and I won't I won't pedal the luck thing too much um, because I can't really grumble because last season I got all of the good luck. Um, whereas this season, I, yeah, I was on the end of most of those ones you said, Tom. The only one I did get right was that Richarlison one the previous week, 37, mm. was it? Yeah, that was about all the ones that I got right. I think really my chip play let me down. My chip play is normally what I rely on to kind of give me a bit of a, a boost. And I got all of it wrong, basically. Um, I set my team on fire with my first wild card, took me down from about 20k to about 250k within about three weeks. Ooh. What did you do? I, I just banked on the you know, things like City being good, a few other things that just trying to get ahead of the curve and fundamentally right. just did not get ahead of the curve and just, yeah. You, you sold sold off the uh, the key men in the beginning, basically. Yeah, early. basically, uh, okay. too early. You know, when you think, oh, I know better than to watch all of this form, it's all just a, a ruse. Yeah. But no, actually, it is actually real. And so I, I don't have any points. So that, that wasn't so good. And then the uh, second wild card worked OK until I let fear rule me. And that is another one of those big things. I'm not really used to kind of chasing hard. I normally rely on like a solid start and then chipping away at rank um, because of the aforementioned wildcard disaster. I spent the season on a big chase. I'm not really great at chasing. And um, I did that thing that 
it's quite embarrassing to say, but I, I did Son to Kane for a hit just before Son went on that big run. Yep, yep. <laughs> Having watched Kane get all of those goals and being like, oh, Son, you're so rubbish. Um, and yeah, and knowing that I was on a chase, I, I took the gamble, which really was the final nail in the coffin. Um, so yeah, that would be my big learning of, of the of the season is to just go with what I've made and kind of like back myself because I just watched people Captain Kane and basically got the got a kind of the fear on and, and didn't really know what to do about it. Um, mm. I realised my mistake, tried to started to correct, so I started to kind of go more with stats based kind of gut calls and less on ownership and stuff. But it was way too late by that point, and then I got more bad luck just to top it off. Um, so yeah, I think we'll talk about it more later, but I think, yeah, this was a season that rewarded kind of not just luck, but a bit of opportunism and a bit of aggressive play. And it's really not my game and it really showed, I think. So yeah, not really great. Um, but I feel like I should probably quit complaining given it as bad as yours, Tom. So. <laughs> no, it's all right. I, I think it's Kane, Kane versus Son. We'll come on to that later. But wow, that, look, I looked back at this earlier on and I got in um, Kane on my 24 wildcard, paired him with Salah. I had no way to get to Son, basically. And at the end of the season, I lost 70 points for not owning Son because the impact was 100% every week on the FPL Optimize. So I was literally just a willing punch bag week after week to Son owners. Last eight game weeks, Son scored 108 points, I read, whereas Kane scored 69 points. That's without captains. And then when you look at a couple of key moments, so game week 32, Kane scored 10 points, Son scored 21. And in game week 35, Kane scored six, Son scored 19. Like a couple of those kind of things just make uh, what's a small difference that you can really kind of defend have a really absurd outcome, uh, which is quite brutal. But Anyway, um, I mean, hopefully this won't happen again, but I'm sure it will happen next season. I'm sure I'll be here again lamenting my bad luck, whereas I'm sure Lucy will not be in this position because after all, um, what goes around comes around. And maybe I'll have next five years and well, I'll do well. Who even knows? And speaking of people who've done well, though, and let's just do the final minute league update of the campaign. And it was fairly close, but as hinted last week, uh, Brett Taylor, I love Lamp. T has won it. 2830. Uh, Brett has achieved 79 points on the final day through Captain and Kane. Uh, he wins the league by, I think it's about 11, 21 points, actually, something like that. Yeah, it's 21 points. Brett actually ended up third, uh, which is pretty damn good, Brett. Um, incredible stuff. Uh, he beat out um, quite a few managers, actually, um, who have been in and around the top 10, top five for quite a while. In second, uh, Joachim Lengroff, Artanista, 81 points for Joachim. 2809 he got, which saw him finish ninth in the world. So amazing stuff for Joachim. Uh, in third, 18 points uh, behind uh, Joachim is Troy Hope, um, who finished 24th overall. Got 83 this week, minus four. Captain Son brought in Kane and brought in Madison. Erstwhile leader, I think the man who was leading throughout the season, um, unfortunately on the final day, just fell down just a little bit. Attack on Mangeshner's XL 11. 59 points, unfortunately, for Hakon. So not the strongest uh, final game week, but still manages to finish 42nd in the world and finishes third in Norway. Well, what are you guys eating? Actually, I know what you're eating. You're eating tacos. In fifth, Chris Turner, um, our friend from Net That Hall, uh, he finishes 122nd in the world, 85 minus four on the final day. Ryan just uh, Ryan Mackey um, gets 68 minus four, goes down from fifth to sixth. 
um, but still ends pretty well. Top 200 is not a finish to be sniffed at. In joint seventh, it's Bruno, number one, James Coe with an 88 points this week, and Mouche, uh, Arnold Tyrion, um, 85 points minus four for him. Um, they both, again, uh, do pretty well this season. Not to be sniffed at, really think finishing him 202nd. I think they both finished that. In ninth, Bagon, Kart, FPL, Santosh, Krishna. Joint enters the, fin- the top 10 on the very last day, 87 points for Santosh. And rounding up the top 10 this season, it's Prianch with a team name that I'm not going to try to pronounce now. He ended up 275th in the world with his effort. 71 points this week for Prianch. Very well done, everybody who ended up in the top 10. A ridiculous effort. And there are loads of people kind of hanging around the top 10, the top 20, who I've mentioned quite a few times, like Steve Jones, Finslow Sullivan, Ozin Kerwan as well. I'm sorry that I messed up your name all season. I need to just say that. Please get in touch to tell me what your name actually is at some point. Right. Um, and the final thing, I think before we get into the main main meat of it, say thanks to Harry for joining on for the final kind of 10 game weeks of the season. We're not going to go into playing some sort of sentimental music, but I remember being very impressed when you came on for your guest piece and I thought you spoke with both reason and concision whilst knowing that you know what you're talking about by performing very well. And you've been a perfect compliment to me because I'm none of those things, neither reason, concise, nor know what I'm talking about. Um, but thanks so much for coming on. I've a huge debt of gratitude for stepping into the void and with Anthony, unfortunately, having to depart a little bit early and finishing the season with me. Thanks for putting up with me being late to many pods as well. It's been quite busy and catching all those massive curveballs I've thrown at you this season. And um, yeah, it's been real. And I'm sure we'll have you on next season in some way, shape or form. Thank you. Yeah, if there's one thing I've taught you this season, Tom, hopefully it's firstly how to get a green arrow and finish higher than the top 200,000. But really what I want (laughs) you to learn is that podding at 8 or 9 or 11 o'clock at night is is not the way to do it and that it should be moved slightly earlier. My texts every week of, can we move at half an hour earlier? I've got got a bedtime to get to. Don't seem to go down, but slowly, slowly but surely, I I weared him away throughout the season. But yeah, thank you very much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Um, I spent so much of my time thinking and talking FPL. So to have a a platform to come and do that has been great. Really enjoyed it. And I'm sure, Lucy, you will do an even better job next, next season. I don't think I will, but I will keep chipping away at those bedtimes because I also need my beauty sleep. So, you know, that we won't be having any 11 p.m. pods. No, I don't think we're doing that anymore, but um, hey, we'll see. But yeah, really looking forward to joining Lucy next year, um, or Lucy joining next year. Either way, either's true. I think we'll try to do some sort of intros to Lucy during the summer, but she's an excellent FPL manager, as I'm sure you may know if you've been on, on FPL Twitter, speaks brilliantly, but she's maybe a little bit less nice than Harry. So it's going to be very interesting to see what the dynamic is next year. I'm really looking forward to it. Right, okay, let's put that in the bin and move on to season discussion just after this break. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Right. So we're back after that loving, um, which is a bit uncharacteristic. I, I don't like doing those. Keep them very, very short. And um, to discuss the season that was, the season that received in our rear, rear view mirror and have a few chats about some particular things we noticed about 2021-22. I think the pandemic panic is probably the big thing um, that may have kind of uh, infiltrated consciousnesses this year. I mean, Joshua Biggs at what the Big C did ask us, you know, has FPL gotten harder or not? And he said that this season was kind of one of his worst finishes ever. And uh, quite a few people that I've seen have relayed that. But I mean, Harry, you've done fairly well, despite the fact there was a lot of sort of um, upheaval, especially around Christmas time with things like, I remember that, that Aston Villa game being called off with like, you know, hours to go, something like that. Do you think that it was 
made more difficult that way? And like, how do you attribute your outcome to navigating it? My outcome was based 100% on skill um, and being able to target <laughs> these weeks as well as good. No, I do think that those games made it not not necessarily more difficult, but more unpredictable and I suppose harder harder to you know try and balance your team. More difficult is not the way. It's not necessarily the term I'd use, but more easy to get unlucky, I suppose, is the way that I would phrase it. Because of the amount of games that went either after the deadline or so close to the deadline, it meant just people got unlucky with the way that their team was. And, you know, you could have a very strong team going into a game week. And if you had, you know, Villa in that one, or you had the Liverpool-Leeds game on Boxing Day, for example, if you had two or three Liverpool going into that one, suddenly you were thrown completely off. And I don't, yeah, again... I'm not sure difficult is completely the right word for it, but I do think it made it much, much more unpredictable than we had. And I suppose maybe more difficult to plan might be the way to the way that I want to put it. It was particularly that game week, I think 18 to about 26 period. That was about an eight game week stretch. Once I feel like we got after 26, yes, there were a lot of doubles. Yes, there were a lot of blanks, but we kind of knew what the lay of the land was going to be roughly as much as we sort of knew in previous seasons. We knew there was going to be doubles between 33, 36 and the beginning of the season was fine. It was that doubles being put in very close to the deadline, blanks being put in very close to the deadline, which I do think has made it much, much more difficult to plan this season. If you've had a bad season, I really wouldn't worry too much about it, particularly if that's the sort of game week range that you took your hits. If it's that's the sort of game week range that you had to play your chips to try and counter this, then I would really, yeah... Uh, on the side of caution and giving yourself a hard time ever about FPL, but particularly this season as well. We, mm. In terms of the game getting more difficult, again, people, we've spoken a lot in the community about do we need to move the goalposts of the top 10K to make it wider and bigger? And I don't think that's like ever going to happen. I think people always talk about the top 10K as this elite sort of finish, the target that people work towards. But I think the sort of top 50K finish, the top 100K finish is being looked at with a much more sort of acceptance and a lot much more light on it than it maybe has done in previous seasons, just because of the amount of engaged people there are, the amount of content there is, the amount that people are consuming means that you've got to be on your top of your game. You get these 50-50 swings, which are being punished more and more because instead of everyone in the game picking between five things, which means if you pick the wrong one, you have the chance that the other four go wrong. Everyone's so engaged that they're now, they are now pretty much picking A or B as the best two options. So it is so split now, whereas it was being more a bit diluted the previous season. So I think it's only going to get harder as we go on with more people playing the game, with more people becoming more engaged. And this is definitely not the season to judge to judge you on. Although if you can judge me on this season, everyone listening, that would be fantastic. <laughs> exactly. I mean, this was the season, wasn't it, Lucy, where taking a minus four became the new rolling a transfer in some stage. I remember that. So game week 18, I think, was kind of eight, late December when only four games went ahead, something like that. And you know, we saw Pete, you, you kind of went into that thinking, you know, some, I'm going to try to limit, you know, play quote unquote sensibly and the closer and closer you got, the more people were kind of thinking, well, don't know when he's going to be back, so I might as well get this guy in. He's at least going to play this week. To kind of go back to what Harry was saying in terms of like it becoming an A or B thing, I think all the fixture kind of changes, so you'd have very few teams with a double game week, would mean that you were naturally gravitating to A or B, which I don't think would happen as much if you had like your more normal fixture process, because I think it, it kind of magnified all of the issues kind of quite significantly so um 
I think it was more prone to those A or Bs when you've got, you know, say that Man United double game week where it was basically you had to pick between Bruno and Ronaldo and whatever happened, happened kind of thing. Whereas I think in a normal season, you probably wouldn't be looking at very many game weeks in that way. We know when we have our big game weeks at the double game weeks at the end of the season, they typically have quite a few um, teams involved and it's not quite so polarised, I guess. Um, so I think that definitely had an influence. There are a few things in terms of whether FPL's got, ho- got harder. I think there's the point that not only is they're more content and they're more kind of statistical chat and people like, you know, have much more access to that stuff, as Harry was saying. I think there's also the kind of a wider kind of football conversation around statistics. I think you'll see in your average football coverage a lot more kind of stats based stuff than you saw five years ago. And although I think a lot of the time they use them badly and sometimes I wouldn't like scream at Monday Night Football and be like, what are you talking about? I think the fact is that the average football fan now is a lot more aware of what XG is, you know, kind of more meaningful statistics than they would have been five years ago. So that that just brings up your standard of your probably top 100K as well as all of the other stuff that's going on. Um, Mm. And I think that's going to make it a more challenging environment. The other thing that I noticed on the whole subject of um, watching football and football stats and stuff in the pandemic, I was watching a hell of a lot of football. Like, you know, I couldn't go anywhere and there was a lot of football on telly in the UK. Now I can actually go somewhere and enjoy my weekends and try to pretend that Southampton don't exist. Uh, More on that later. But also there just isn't the availability. So I realised kind of halfway through the season how much I'd been relying on watching a lot of football I mean, I've never been like a pure stats person. I like I like to watch football and get a sense of how a player's performing and I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, so I think that's probably made it harder for me personally. I don't know if other people were kind of into that. So uh, that's yeah. interesting. That's, that's really interesting. I, I think maybe there's a con- like that sort of heightened awareness of how all the different inputs which lead to FPL decisions amongst the general population has bled over into FPL a little bit. I like you were saying there as well, Harry, about how the season, um, there was more scope to be unlucky than perhaps just in general it being difficult. I think that's a really nice nuanced way to put it. You wouldn't find that on Twitter, that's for sure. Um, and I think kind of the key, the key point for me throughout the course of this season was that actually the season, 31,414 points were scored overall, only 31 less than last season. So the same number of points pretty much were scored throughout FPL, but there were more double game weeks. And I think that probably might be the key if you're looking at this kind of AVB proper sort of magnification of polar opposites. There were more double game weeks this year than ever before, caused by a situation where you had less games and lots of sort of gambling behaviour, which became the norm. So there's more scope for these split outcomes. And I think that that may have contributed to some people's bad outcomes. For me, it's just being a poor manager. But for a lot of other people, you can just put that down um, to those sort of things happening. But yeah, a really interesting season. Uh, We've had a few interesting seasons for sadly unfortunate reasons. Let's hope next year is normal and there isn't like a big break in the middle or something. Oh, wait, Qatar. Anyway, um, let's move on to other things to talk about the game inside the game itself. So the 200 club, worth mentioning this. So every year we look at the players who hit that magic 200 mark or do its part of Talisman Theory. And throughout the last few years, we've seen it fluctuate a little bit. So last season, there were just four members of the 200 club. That was Canandez was the top scorer. Kane came second, two points behind him, and Salah and Son. A year before that, there were eight. A year before that, there were eight. 
year before that were just three, uh, Salah, Sterling and KDB. And the year before that, there were six. This year, how many were there? There are five this year. There are, yep. So Salah won it, 265. Uh, Son just behind, 258. Uh, that's Salah's best return, actually, since his 300-point season. So his second best return ever in FPL. Uh, Son, that 258, obviously ridiculously good. And um, that would have been the top FPL point scorer in either of the last two seasons. Uh, Trent, a distant third in 208. Bowen, uh, who we'll speak about, I'm sure, in a little bit, 206. And Cancelo just limped over the line with 201. KDB and KDB, Kane. KDB, yeah, they just came short, didn't Honorable they? Honourable mentions for those two, 196 and uh, 192. Th- this season, again, it-, it wasn't the kind of season that we saw in the past when you had eight different individuals who were all smashing it. For example, 2019-20, which I'm sure a lot of you remember, De Bruyne was top that year. That was when he was quite cheap. All of us owned him. Uh, Salah, Mane, Vardy, Trent, Aubameyang, Sterling, and Martial, who absolutely smashed it during Project Restart, all occupied the 200 club. Um, I, I don't think there's too much to say on this one this year, actually, apart from to home in on Bowen, who we'll speak about later on. But just an interesting one uh, to, to just mention there. Uh, but the forwards, I think, Think is the key one to just uh, dig into a little bit because it's it was a difficult season, wasn't it? And I remember Lucy when you came onto the pod to do a handover. You oh, I knew the... you were going to say this. <laughs> I knew it was going to be mentioned. Carry on, carry on. You, you tipped the forwards to uh, to recover, and they simply didn't, did they? No, not even close, not even remotely. And I thought I'd got away with it, but no, of course, from the annals of your mind came that. I think the mid-price strikers, in particular were an absolute abomination. I'm talking Ings, Watkins, Antonio. By the way, Antonio, what the hell happened there? Three three double-digit hauls in the first three game weeks, and then he just went off radar completely, despite not getting injured, which I kind of assumed he would at some point, but didn't really. But yeah, the, the mid-price strikers, and then, of course, you had Calvert-Lewin in a relegation battle that no one really expected at the beginning of the season. Um, I, I just can't really get my head around how bad they were and I, I can't see that they're sustainable like in the sense that it'll happen again because I don't think those clubs can put up with strikers that don't score any goals like they've, they've got to get a tune out of them one way or another <laughs> and then I think we also saw Liverpool and City in kind of transitional tactical periods where so you didn't have Firmino as the central striker in the same sense that he had been in previous seasons you kind of had Mane start up front, Jota start up front they kind of you know change things around quite a lot and obviously City didn't replace Aguero and just went with no no kind of recognised centre forward given that Jesus, Jesus yeah, did, didn't really step up, did he? Until no, Jesus just stayed right wing all the time, really, didn't he? So I can't, given that Haaland will be coming at City, I, I can't see that staying like it is. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to once again try and insist that this won't be like this forever. Um, if it is like that forever, then we're probably going to have to look at either a recategorization of players, although... They just panicked last time that happened and put Sam Maxman as a striker, which was a bit bizarre. Um, Or we're going to have to look at maybe a restructured squad where you don't need to fill three striker spots. I don't know. Could it be the end of 3-4-3 maybe? Yeah, I think 3-5-2 has to be the default start next season, unless you've got reason to believe. The problem is, every season, they will try to counterbalance this by dropping the price of the strikers. So maybe they'll, they'll tempt us in with some tastily price strikers given that I think we'll see a lot of very expensive defenders yeah I say it before every season and I'll say it again that I think 4-4-2 is the most reliable way to get a good start 
because those it's easier to predict a defender at five or six million that's going to score points than a midfielder at five or six million who's going to score points or a forward at the same prices. There will be cheap mids and there will be cheap forwards that score points. But if you looked at what's most reliable that I could say, I reckon I could pick five defenders who would do it and I'd probably get one out of five midfielders or forwards that would do it. So again, especially we'll be seeing and we'll talk about defenders, but I like the idea of a back four again starting the season next week as I next season as I have done for the past two as well. Not next week, please, please, Harry, no. <laughs> Yeah, no, you, I think that's really interesting. So I did have a quick look at this today. I've, I've had very little time to do this sort of thing. I looked at this season for forwards versus last season for forwards. And forwards scored 269 points less this season than they did last season. Percentage-wise, in terms of the overall points scored, that's not changed that much. So 14.4% last year to 13.6% this year. What did happen, though, was forwards scoring over 100 points declined by a fair bit. Um, in real terms. So 19 forwards last season, including the likes of David McGoldrick, remember him, and scored over 100 points in 2019-20. Only 14 scored this season. McGoldrick scored about three quarters of those against Chelsea in one match, didn't he? <laughs> he, did, he did indeed. But he still got to 100, the magic 100, didn't he? Um, and I think Lucy's kind of right in what she was saying, that there are a few reasons why this happened. The drop-off of many of last season's go-to, so Watkins um, and Vardy, two good examples last year, Watkins got 168 points down to 133. Vardy, 186 to 133. Patrick Bamford, another one I'd add to the DCL mention. Patrick Bamford got 194 points last year. We've forgotten about him completely because he's only scored 28 this year and simply not been around. And suddenly you've lost loads of points from these vital individuals in the bracket and they simply weren't replaced in the forward bracket in FPL. Players who would fill the gap didn't step up for a mix of influences and a little situation where literally only Mr. Harry Kane uh, was of any interest out to us. I'm outside of, you know, Richarlison recently and players like that, in and out. Emmanuel Dennis says hello. And the only other forward to finish in the top 10 was Cristiano Ronaldo, who limped into 18th. He was outscored by the likes of Alisson and Lucy's man, Joel Matip. And Ronaldo finished second on 159 points. He would have finished sixth last season for forwards, which says it all, really. It really wasn't a good year for the forwards. But a good point there to raise the spectre of Haaland. I mean, Harry, do you think that Haaland being at Man City, I mean, I don't know if Liverpool are really going to change unless Salah or Mane maybe gets reclassified as a forward, but do you think Haaland could re-tip the balance here or do you think overall the forwards are due a resurgence? They're due a resurgence. And I think that it will be the template to start with one of the premium forwards because, you know, if Kane starts well or Haaland starts well, people will talk about squad structure, you know, spreading the money around so it's easy in those opening weeks to move to one of them. I can't see Haaland not doing well. I I really can't. And I know people talk about Pep in his first season with players taking it a bit easy. We saw it with Grealish. We saw it with Sterling when he joined as well. First season with Mares, he eases them in. I just can't see Haaland being that player, especially given how they've not have a, had a forward and not don't have someone to play there at the moment. Again, we'll talk about it, but when you look at the likes of Kane, Son, Salah, Fernandez, if you're gonna if he's gonna go down in price a little bit, Marnie in there as well, it's gonna be so, so difficult to say that I'm definitely gonna own Haaland game week one with De Bruyne in there as well. 
I'd be a brave man to say that I'm not going to do it because I think, again, we see what the ownership of these players are like early on. But yeah. if they have a sea of green in their opening six fixtures, then there's no chance I think we look past him. And I do think he'll do well um, given the way he plays, the way he's sort of bullish on the ball. It, he could suit the Premier League quite well, I think. Yeah, hopefully there's no Bundesliga tax and hopefully he stays injury-free. Um, but yeah, no, even though the, obviously the data is ridiculous, elite finisher, et cetera, et cetera, and so on and so on. I'm interested in your question and your kind of the point you made there, Lucy, about reclassification as well. Um, I think last, this year, you're right that they kind of thought, oh God, you know, we haven't got that many forwards, so we're going to reclassify the likes of St. Max and move Aubameyang back to being a central striker. I mean, do you think that there should be more reclassifications or do you think it's just been a fallow year for the forwards due to the things I subscribed? Um, I'm, I'm reluctant to say there should be lots because I thought about this for quite a long time and I can't think of many obvious ones that aren't classified correctly. If we're using the same structure as they always used where you have to be the kind of central number nine to be classified as a forward. The only one I did think about was, and it sounds a bit bonkers, so you have to bear with me, um, Sadio Mane, of the 14 appearances he had after AFCON, um, the 14 Premier League appearances he had after that, he appeared nine times as the central striker. Um, If they're going to kind of, you know, use Diaz a lot next season, which seems likely, it may be that we see Mane starting more regularly in central role. Although I did see today that he'd kind of um, speculated about his own contract. But if if he is at Liverpool, um, then maybe he could be one. I couldn't think of that many. Zaha could be one because I saw that Vieira was talking about using him as a central striker next season. Yeah, he was playing, they... uh, playing as, one, as one of the two um, for the last kind of few games of the season, wasn't he? Yeah, so I wonder if that's a possibility, but they do seem to have a lot of central strikers at Palace, so I don't know if that is actually viable. Um, so there are a couple, but what I wouldn't want to say is recategorise lots of players and then make no sense like they did last time. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I think there are a couple that maybe could benefit from a bit of a review, which might help. But I think there's a danger of kind of saying, oh, we need all these recategorizations when we perhaps don't need them. It's just that it was an odd season for forwards. Yeah, I'd probably yes. subscribe to that. Yeah, Zaha seems to move back and forward every second season. I remember there was a year him and Arnautovic went from midfielders to forwards and then they go back again. They keep bouncing back and forward. No one seems to know where they play. I I think Mane is one that we spoke about when the game launched last year, that the price was just completely wrong for him. And if, let's say, they put Salah as a 12.5 million midfielder again and they put Mane as a 10 or 10.5 million forward, Yes, he's going to get the less point for goal, less point for a clean sheet. But I think then we suddenly have a debate on our hands. If you're looking, okay, you're paying two million more for Salah, but he also takes up a midfield spot, whereas Mane fits in that forward lineup. I I really would like them to do something. I don't think it really matters and impacts the game that much if they put a couple of extra players. What I don't see happening is the likes of Salah, the likes of Son, the likes of Bowen's an interesting one. Bowen's played a bit more through the middle but the likes of Salah the likes of Son the likes of Sterling I don't see them being put uh, being put as forwards next year I think they will still restrict it to those sort of central players and not those wide players as soon as you start putting them in forwards we could end up with so many in there that we can't pick between them the only thing is that I do continue to debate is why on earth does Salah get a point for a clean sheet and I still think it's most strange part of the game that Salah gets a po- as much of a point for a clean sheet as 
as you do from Kante or Declan Rice. And again, they're not going to, I can't see them adding another position and people have spoken about adding a wing back position, adding a defensive midfielder position. Mm. I don't see that happening. But why does Salah get a point for a clean sheet and an extra point for a goal, whereas like Kane doesn't? It just, it feels like the clean sheet point for midfielders is a bit redundant given the midfielders that we end up picking. Yeah, and also I think a lot of people have talked about whether they could add in defensive midfielders and whether we could mix up the pool and widen it a bit so we don't get the same template. Yes, theoretically we could, but they're never going to do it because it will have such an impact on the kind of mass appeal of the game. Like the idea of my dad getting his head around, you know, like defensive metrics when he doesn't normally do that. Just it's never going to happen. It would change too much with the fundamental mechanics of the game. So they're not going to do that. So it's it's about yeah tweaking what already exists. And I think you're quite right about the clean sheet point making no sense under the current structure. Cool. That's interesting in terms of um, thinking about it, but I just don't think it's ever going to happen. You're right. It was about simplicity being the name of the game. And also, I, I really like the idea of forcing a choice between Mane and Salah. That's been one that I've been banging on about for many years. Would they ever listen to me? Absolutely not. <laughs> but I'm sure that that would be one that I think many would would like, even though it is kind of, you know, it would be, people could say, oh, it's quite spurious, you know, but just jimmying the game, like changing the system a tiny bit, a sense of difference uh, within the system uh, could be really really interesting just on that again the other one Salah versus Mane is what they're going to do with Son versus Kane next year as well again like we've had Son being cheaper than Kane so a lot of people have often started with them Son has had an incredible season when we talk about player of the seasons I will bang on and bang on about how good Son has been particularly in the second half of the season but please stop again, it's too painful it's too but, for, but for me there's no reason why like Son should be any cheaper or any cheaper than Kane, especially if he's a midfielder. And again, yeah. if they price them both at 12 million next year, it would be such a debate. Again, Son gets a slightly extra point for a goal. He's probably going to score slightly less goal contributions than Kane you'd expect. But I think, again, if they make them the same price, I just want them to make make us make a decision with some of these and not make it really easy like it was with Salah versus Mane this year. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely interesting. So um, the forwards lost a lot of points. Where did those points go? I isolated where it went. It was to the mid-price midfielders. So I looked at midfielders price between six to eight million end price, annoyingly, because I don't have the start price and I can't bother to do a look up there. I mean, come on, guys, I've got about two hours during my lunch break and other breaks to do this. Um, but this uh, season, 15 midfielders uh, scored over 100 points between the price of six to eight. Last season, it was 13. But the mad difference is in the overall points scored by those players within that bracket. I know there were two less last year, but this, this is a huge difference. So last year, uh, the over 100 point scorers in the mid-price midfield bracket scored 1639 points, so an average of 126 points each. This season, they scored 2,221 points, so an average of 148 points each all the points were filtered down into this area. And that's attributable to loads of players simply kicking on in this category as well as emergence. So consistency from the likes of uh, Madison, your man uh, Mason Mount Harry, and the emergence of Saka and Gallagher as the main duchess to the price point really helps it along too. And the forward meltdown basically meant that five midfielders, we've kind of all intimated, was massive this year. 
and catching these players at the right time was key as well. And the, the big example, of course, is Jared Bowen, who last season uh, did appreciably well. I think he got about 140, 150 points, something like that. But from that to 200 points, really kind of elevated this category, didn't it? Yeah, I, I like that. Again, we we spoke a lot about them throughout the season. It's not necessarily been one consistently, but there's been enough that have done it from the beginning to the end. I was surprised that you didn't, that maybe we'll talk about them as the defenders. I think there's been a lot there, but these mid-price mids, and I think there'll be a lot of price increases for a lot of these options in here as well. So like Saka will go up, Bowen, as you'd expect, will go up, Mount will go up. A lot of these players will see price increases, which again, it's going to make it difficult for us to try and afford the likes of Son, Salas and Canes when these cheap mids that we think are going to be the ones who are going to be the enablers in our teams are not going to be the enablers in our team. Saka will go from six and a half Mm, to eight million. We'll see Bowen up at, you know, seven and a half as a minimum. We'll see Mount up at probably eight million. Foden will go up. We won't get a Manchester City midfielder at seven million like we do this season. So again, it's going to be, it seems even more difficult next season to try and look where on earth are these cheap, cheap options going to come from, which may be why we talk a bit more about the defence and starting with a four at the back or something, because these midfielders that have been sort of ticking along for previous seasons, and you could see it's possible that they have a good season coming up, that they do it consistently, have basically all done it this year. And next year, I don't see many of them that I look at and I think you're going to be six million or under that I want to own going into the start of the season. Now, when the game launches, I may be surprised at who's, down at that price with the newly promoted teams we may see that as well but again yeah as we say because this bracket has just exploded this year they're all going to be shift up in price that we're all going to have even less money to play with because the premiums are getting more expensive as well yeah I think that was pretty much all the notes I'd written but the other thing I wanted to point out was there there were a couple that maybe like Jota for example who was quite a good option at the beginning of the season just isn't going to be the same option now because Liverpool have got got more choice in those forward areas so that if they're not going up they're going to become issues as well um so I think it becomes quite a complex one to navigate the only thing is that maybe we'll see some teams that perhaps weren't kind of fancied this season I'm thinking maybe if Everton pulled their socks up but you know maybe not maybe if Saints Mm. aren't so diabolical for the second half of the season but, you know, we won't hold on to that either. Um, I think we might be looking at other teams that perhaps have underperformed or even like, you know, the Newcastle phenomenon where like a lot of their players probably will be priced differently, but maybe there'll be some options there. I think we're going to have to be a bit more resourceful about it. Going on to what you're saying kind of about the defence and kind of four at the back. I th- I've seen people going mad about big at the back. And I think we'll see another price shift for the Cancelos and all those kinds of James, those kinds of ones that were under Trent. So I think they'll go up as well. So there could be some tough decisions between which of those premium fullbacks you, or wingbacks that you take and therefore whether you consider their centre-back counterparts instead. So I know, for example, Laporte became quite a strong option this season um, because he was that bit cheaper. Obviously, that gap closed as more people cottoned onto it. I don't think we'll see his option like Matic next season because I don't expect that he'll start as consistently this season because Canate will probably play. Um, but those kinds of options might be the ones we're forced into as well because I think that not only did those mid-priced midfielders do really well, but obviously the premium defenders worked quite well as well. So I think if 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 I'm right, I think it's going to be quite a difficult one to get a well-balanced team this season. 
Yeah, I mean, we definitely will definitely will see that. I mean, we say every year, just as a caveat to all of this, that oh, all the prices are going to go up. Who am I going to choose? I mean, always find a way of doing it. It's not like inflation. It's not like the cost of living crisis in the UK. Salah won't suddenly be unaffordable like your energy bills. It will still be affordable with a certain level. There'll, there'll be a cap or something like that. Anyway, um, but yeah, big at the back being the norm. I think that's definitely something which was a thing this year. I mean, as Lucy said, the centre-backs, as they always tend to, became more in fo- focus as, as the season became closer to this climax because they've got about 90 minutes, you know, they're likelier to start, less likely to be subbed off, et cetera, et cetera. As a cohort, defenders scored more points this season than last season, 107 more points. And it was the first time since 2018-19 that two defenders made the 200 club and six defenders were in the top 20, doubling last year's tally. So Laporte, Joel Matip, one that would have gone unnoticed by a lot of people. Uh, Van Dijk, Cancelo, Robertson and Trent made up the top 20 this year. When last year, it was just Stuart Dallas, who was the highest scoring defender last year. Hey, blast in the past there. Robertson and Trent, who were in the top 20. And of those top 20 defenders, there's a huge difference this season compared to last, which probably elevates why big at the back was so important. Last season, the top 20 cohort, they scored near enough 2,700 points. This season, the top 20 defenders scored 3,000 points near enough. So 300 points gained season on season amongst the top 20 defenders. And again, I think that probably is kind of feeding into your initial point way back when, Harry, about big at the back. Um, I, I think that it's definitely going to be perhaps a sign of things to come and a sign of of the sort of thing that we've been banging on about for years and love GTA for long-term listeners. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I finished the season with five defenders. I do think there's a possibility that there are some that maybe we haven't seen be that consistent this season. I'm, you know, I'm thinking, where's the Spurs defence going to be priced out going into next season? You know, Sessegnon, Doherty, so maybe they're, you know, cheap options in defence who are not going to get quite the same price increase. I do think there's a limit to how far those defenders are going to go. I don't see Trent being nine. I just don't know why he should be for the points he scores, but I'm just not sure I see them doing it. And if Trent's not going to be nine and he's eight and a half, then Robbo's still going to only be eight. I still think they'll be good value, even at the prices that they are. We're not going to be able to own them all. James again, Rudiger, Rudiger going, but you know who's going to be in the Chelsea defence, for example. The Spurs defence is definitely the one that I'm looking at, thinking how are they, much are they going to stretch this? How much is Sessegnon, Regulon, Doherty if he's gone? They, I think they'll buy wing backs, don't they? Yeah, maybe that's what it is. But are they all going to come in and be five? They're still unlikely to be as much as the no. The I, others. I agree, they will be cheaper. I think. Yeah. yeah so five and a half probably Barkins. max. Yeah, it probably won't be the names we're talking about, but five and a half for the Spurs wing back. They have a nice start compared to a seven million Reese James who scores twelve and then two every week is <laughs> might be the way that we end up going. Yeah, we all end up with Luke Shaw at five million <laughs> because uh, everyone you, had Luke Shaw, didn't they? That was a yeah. thing, wasn't it? You did, and you, you'll see these players start to come around and we'll start to look at look for value. I mean, to your Spurs point, Harry, I mean, owning, for example, Ben Davis, something like that um, throughout the back end of the season, especially when, since Conte had come in or at least when they sorted their stuff out, um, would have been a, a good pickup. And it's always going to be about spotting value. Do you remember that season? And when Rudiger was like 4.5, like, that's just two seasons ago, wasn't it? Like, yeah, just two seasons ago, yeah. Finding players like that is always going to be key. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely been an interesting season from a lot of those perspectives. Um, so yeah, 200 club, inflated, forwards, off a cliff. Will they come back? 
we're not sure. The mid-price mids, they're all going to be priced up, so they're all going to do the premium mids next season. The midfield category is screwed, according to Harry. And the defenders, big at the back, will happen probably and probably keep happening because you know defenders are, as we all have said, um, a really reliable, consistent source of points who are normally well worth the money. Cool. All right, let's uh, leave that there. I'm sure there'll be a lot more remonstrations about how the season has gone uh, throughout the course of the summer, or maybe not. And after this break, we'll talk about our end of season awards, which again, perhaps builds on what we just said. Back in a sec. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's time for our standard now end of season awards, uh, discussing a few sort of different bits and pieces. Obviously, these people don't actually win anything, much like the Who Got This Mini League, I'm afraid. Um, but hey, it's a free pod. That's, that's, you get what you're given. Um, so we look at the best goalkeeper, best defender, best midfielder, best striker, flop of the season, um, cockroach of the year, that one player you just couldn't shift. That could be some, named something else, but hey, I'm not going to go there player of the season and surprise package of the season uh, just name a few things we'll go through uh, let's start in goal goalkeeper of the season i mean i initially was thinking guys like ramsdale um but when i saw his last clean sheet was in game week 29 I mean, at 4.5 is probably the best value but like he was it just wasn't particularly great was it i mean it, it's quite tough to judge this one isn't it yeah, no Martinez this season. I don't know what we do without him now. Um, I I was going towards Jose Sarr, like um, yeah, just on an FBL basis, he did pretty well. Um, apart from crucially when I needed him to do well in double game weeks, but we'll move on from that. Um, but also I think kind of on a slightly broad basis, um, statistically, like his kind of save date is pretty insane. Um, in terms of like you know, um, expected goals conceded and things like that. Um, he did pretty well as well. So um, that was kind of where I was going with that. But you're right in the sense that I don't think there was any kind of standout guy. No, uh, I mean, we could be boring and, you know, say Alisson scored 0.7 points per star more than any other goalkeeper. And we're obviously not going to pick him, but the level of points that he's he gets is crazy in comparison to other goalkeepers. And it's a lot That's of the time... Such it's a boring answer though, come on. Liverpool let the opposition take more shots from outside of the box, which means Alisson gets more saves than any of the other top keepers. But again, like it's boring. I would go Ramsdale because Sars scored a lot of points, but he's actually done it a lot of the time when no one owned him and they were playing against top teams, which is good for a goalkeeper, but not good for him in FPL because he was probably sat on most people's benches those weeks. So I would have given it to Ramsdale. Just I know past 10 weeks, they've not been great, but that sort of period from probably game week five to 25 he was probably, you know, the standout player in a lot of our teams for that period of time. So I probably favoured Ramsdale, but him or Sarah are the two, two that stand out. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I I made a lot of goalkeeper transfers this season. So it just showed it was a, a different season compared to last year when you just had Martinez stuck him in goal past years when you had Nick Pope, um, Tom Heaton, et cetera, et cetera, and so on and so on. When you just owned one goalkeeper and you were happy with them, there was no real sort of, standout 4.5 until Ramsdale came on the scene. I'm looking at the data as Lucy did too. The most saves this year were actually, was actually uh, Eon Melier at Leeds. Again, he got... Also conceded the most goals though, didn't he? He did. He got 141 saves this year. That's the second season in a row he's had that exact number of saves. But he's also the worst goalkeeper in the league statistically when it comes down to expected goals prevented. Um, minus 16.8 so he let in almost 17 more goals than actually would suggest that he should have conceded. At the other end, um, it is Jose Sarr. 
plus 7.5. He's, um, you know, Wolves defence over great debt of gratitude and he's miles ahead of the second best um, goalkeeper, who is Allison at plus 1.1, which just shows that he was the standout goalkeeper this season. And it's a decent ratio of clean sheets to saves as well, it's worth mentioning. So he was all, he was both getting saves and clean sheets. I never owned the guy throughout the course of the season, but 11 clean sheets, 116 saves, probably the best ratio. Although the best per game ratio, intriguingly, was Raya um, at uh, Brentford because he missed the tranche of the season. But eight clean sheets and 75 saves, he came out as the best ratio um, in terms of that, like you know, saves and clean sheets per game. So one to watch next season, that's for sure. I know he's been pointed out by a few other kind of pods on the planet FPL where really like Raya too. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, it's, it's been, Jose, uh, I think on the data, it's probably Jose Saar, but in terms of how we kind of played the season, I suppose it's probably going to have to be Ramsdale if we kind of by default nominating the 4.5, who's the best. But I mean, a bit we can conclusively say it wasn't Sanchez though, can't we? Which was the big tip before the season started. <laughs> I think I think we can. Yeah, he was incredibly frustrating, almost as incredibly frustrating as owning Vincente Guaita. But we're not going to go there. We're not going to mention that name ever again on this podcast. He actually got the same points per start as Ramsdale this season, Guaita. So he should be up there in our discussion, surely, Tom. <laughs> right. Okay, that's my educated response to that one, Harry. Move on to the defenders. It's a lot more interesting, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, in the data, um, there were a couple of un- overperformers and underperformers. The biggest overperformer this year in terms of expected goal involvement to actual was Robertson. Actually, his non his non pen XGI was just seven, and he got thirteen goal involvements. Reese James second, eight point three, got fourteen. An underperformer, despite guessing the two hundred club, Jao Cancelo was owed twelve returns and you've got eight uh trent um got six uh, was owed 16 and got 14 uh, for comparison but um, I'll, I'll give i'll give my reasoning in a minute but i think i'm going to go for cancello this year i mean uh, what do you think harry where are you with that one i'm in torn between one of three names all playing for the same team in liverpool trent has had another great season maybe not lived up to quite the heights that he has in previous seasons particularly in i think the last 10 weeks he's not had it quite as much, but still, you know, standout number one point scoring defender. We've spoken a bit about Matip, um, 170 points for Matip, starting, I think, 5 million at the beginning of the season and ended the season absolutely brilliantly. But the one I want to give it to is Robertson because of how well he's ended the season. He's got about 6.4 points per game this year compared to 6.5 for Trent, but being priced at a million less than him, the way he's finished the season, I've been really impressed with him. And if we see a big price difference of a million between them next season, I think there's a bit of debate to be had there because he's finished, I think the past sort of 10, 15 weeks. I remember one of my first pods I came on, I sold, sold Cancelo for Robertson and he ended up scoring that game, I think against Arsenal. So Robertson would be for me, but I think you can look at Robertson, and Cancelo pretty much between them. I do think Cancelo's done, you know, had a phenomenal season from a playing and from an FPL point of view as well. I'm sure Lucy wants to talk for 10 minutes about Joel Matip though. I do, I do, but I won't bore you. But I will say, yeah, given that he started at 5 million, which is also the price I bought him at, um, I think he's incredible, been incredible value. And I think probably has been a more certain starter than a lot of people probably would have anticipated with the introduction of Kanate as to whether he would kind of be that kind of 
almost um, constant presence in the Premier League. Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, he finished the season at 5.3, so it's not exactly like he ever got very expensive. Um, outscored Laporte by 10 points, outscored Rudiger by 20 points, um, got with two goals at the end of the season. It, there is a smidge of recency bias you may be getting from this, but I think you should just ignore that um, and just appreciate that Joel Matic was, was clearly the defender of the season. Um, <laughs> if not, I was going to say Cancelo, but I'm going to stick with Matic. Fair enough. I mean, I wish I got Matip. I did get Robertson, um, gave me 24 and uh, on my wild card, paired him with Trent and just stuck with him um, throughout the end of the season. And maybe there's a lesson to be learned there because he, that was the best game for me of all players this year, according to Sir Talp's Epo Optimized with a Z.com uh, or a Z, as I'm sure he put it. And um, uh, putting him alongside Trent was probably the best pickup that I got. Um, yeah, but, I only didn't do that because I didn't have enough money. That's yeah, why the yeah. whole Matip thing happened. Absolutely. But, you know, yeah. Whatever. But I think I think from an FPL point of view um, is uh, is why I put the case for Cancelo. I mean, I'm not going to ignore Trent's continuing brilliance, but Cancelo had the highest XG among defenders and the highest, the second highest XA, fairly distant second, as should be said to Trent. But what I really like about Cancelo's performance this season was that for me, he made me he really felt like this kind of the second act of big at the back because alongside Trent, um, he made many reconsider how important it was having more than one big ticket defender. I'm not talking about kind of in, in the informed sort of core. Um, I'm talking more um, in just, just, just general um, FPL playing base, just because I, Cancelo was brilliant because he did loads of jobs for loads of people. He was both high scoring defender and also a defender who covered a treacherous city attack. So you couldn't trust midfielder. You couldn't trust the striker for City for sure. So you got Cancelo in. He did that job for you. But he also exploited their defensive solidity. So member of 200 club um, for the first time. And I, I just, I feel like this year, just because of what he's done for the defenders union, I give it to Cancelo. But yeah, I, I like the Robertson call Harry. And you're right that if next year he ends up being 1 million cheaper than Trent again, Trent obviously has the higher name recognition to some extent. And that'd be interesting. I, I don't think they were that different at the start of this year, were they? I, th- I think it was a, a, was it a 0.5 difference? I think it was 0.5, yeah. Yeah. And then a million... Over Van Dyke or a million and a half over Van Dyke. Cool. But I suppose if we talk about the five subs, and we didn't mention it very much so far, that if there are going to be five subs next season, well, there are going to be, does it make the centre back slightly more appealing? Because unlikely that they use that change on a centre back compared to how often it's likely to happen that, you know, Liverpool are 2 0 up at half time and he goes, all right, Simakas, off you go, Robertson, rest you for the Champions League. Whereas Van Dyke, would play pretty much every minute playing at centre-back. So I wonder if the the centre-backs become a lot more appealing next year because of that. Now, we don't want to spend, I know we've spoken about the changes to the game, but the one that I would love to go in line with the five-sub rule is a ne- one one or two clean sheet points at half-time just to try and help navigate those early subs that, that there are going to be. So maybe two clean sheet points after 45 minutes and an extra two if they reach the 60th minute as well. So to try and counteract what could happen with those early subs next season yeah and and if if it's a city defender you know you're basically printing points because pep doesn't make subs does he despite uh campaigning very vociferously for for that number of uh number of changes but you know that's interesting uh, at laporte was the highest uh 
scoring centre-back in terms of uh, non-pen XGI the course of the season. Uh, so one that's worth mentioning, I saw this good article in The Athletic about how City have really picked up in terms of their set plays um, over the last year. And I think they scored the highest number of goals and set pieces this season than any other team. And Laporte will probably be central to that. So quite an interesting one for next year. Sadly, we probably won't get the massive situation. Uh, I know that um, my man, uh, Big Mike slash Craig Dawson, um, for many people, including our friend Ross, Epper Raps did very, very well. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's an interesting one this year, especially if you get a, a, a player, you know, in the Macaulay sort of mould, um, who knows where the goal is, so to speak. Could be Jan Bednarak Lucy in everyone's teams, you know, scoring 200 points or so next season. I don't know what happened to that guy. He suddenly worked out where the goal was. He suddenly worked out that Ward Prowse is quite good at corners and he can actually get it in the net. Unfortunately, he, he worked out where his own of... goal was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well. yeah. I was about to say, he worked out his own goal. And also, we concede all of the goals ever. So you wouldn't actually want to own him. But, you know, occasionally it was good to see him get a goal. Yeah. Moving you'll get, on. Get, yeah, maybe he'll score the one in the 9-1 or something like that. Anyway. Um, we don't get one in the 9-1. It's a 9-0. Come on. But it, it will, will be, yeah, they're all will in his own net during that game. <laughs> it will be next year. Next year he'll get the one, um, taking up to zero points. Right. So I think we're kind of Cancello-y, maybe Robbo-y around there. Interesting. Midfielder. Midfielder is probably one where, I mean, do we just default to Salah here? And maybe... This is one where we start to kind of merge into other categories a little bit. Um, Harry Son getting 13 non-pen goal involvements without pens is just amazing, isn't it? And this is why I would put Son there. And this is why when the Premier League awards came out, I didn't want to Bruyne winning it and I wanted Son winning it. Because what he's done without penalties is unparalleled to what people have done in the past. We see Salah scoring goals. We've seen Kane scoring goals. Van Persie in previous seasons, but they've all had penalties to get the amount of goals that he's done. You also look at the goals that he scored. Danny like, has got the same number of non-penalty goals. I'm just going to point out. Well, he should have won player of the season when he was there <laughs> as well, shouldn't he? Um, but I just think the goals he scored, like he's seen the goals at the weekend outside of the box with his so-called weaker foot. He's done it from both sides this season. Salah has been great. And I think, again, the recency bias makes us remember what Son has done and we forget how incredibly good Salah was for the first half of the season in particular, where he absolutely tore the league apart and it looked an absolute shoe in that he'd win the golden boot. He did win it, but Son came up very close to him. The other one that I put in there and they, they, share, they, share, they shared it actually. They shared it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the one we might talk about and he might go into a bit of a surprise package is Bowen. And if we're talking a bit about like we spoke out with Matip, someone that's done a lot better than we expected to, Bowen has had a really, really good season in that West Ham team. Probably not enough to get midfielder of the season, but I think he definitely deserves a shout. But Son would be the one I'd give it for, but I wouldn't disagree with anyone wanting to give it to Salah as well. I mean, one point is that Salah did get a better non-pen SGI uh, than Son, uh, but Salah is in an objectively better team. Um, than Son is. So yeah, I, I'm not going to disparage Son's achievement. The only reason I would nominate Bowen here is because I would probably put Son into the player of the season bracket. So maybe I kind of say, you know what? All right, maybe I I should give this to Salah by default as maybe the forwards in the second we'll speak about should go to Kane by default. Um, but I would be minded to give it to Bowen. I mean, fifth for non-penalty this year. Um, but it's just more from an FPL value perspective, really. Like 6.5 at the start of the season. He wasn't a total non-entity 
um, it's worth mentioning. Last year, he managed 141 points. I checked that during the break. Uh, and it's just been generally very good to see a player kick on um, from there. I'd expect him, as we mentioned in the mid-price mids chat, to be priced up a fair bit next year. Um, 8.59, I wouldn't be surprised by for Bowen. I think any eight or below, he still stays ridiculously good value. I'm just hoping he doesn't kind of get over the radar. And I think the biggest achievement for him is he's the biggest, he's the first non-big six uh, club midfielder in the 200 club since Riyad Mahrez way back when. I mean, Jamie Vardy's got there um, in terms of being a non-big six club, uh, 200 club member. But in terms of midfielders, I mean, it's a heck of an achievement really for his price. And definitely considering that they had European commitments, I think there was a lot of assumption that eventually West Ham players wouldn't be such an attractive prospect because they'd have Europe to balance and that would lead to rotation and, and things like that. And that hasn't really been the case. And it's allowed Bowen to kind of carry on scoring goals. Um, I was with Harry on this one in the sense that I felt it should be Son. I can't see any other midfielder really kind of returning on the level that he has over the whole season. And um, I don't really have a lot more to add other than he should have been the Premier League player of the season for me. And um, mm. yeah, well done, Son. Yeah, those things. I feel like those things are done by the name recognition and um, also loads of City fans who've been paid um, loads of money by oil, loads of oil money to basically vote in for those. Um, but anyway, um, on to the strikers. Um, and uh, Kane wins by default, doesn't he? <laughs> is, there, is there any any other case for anybody we can build here? I literally put on my notes, can we say no one? Um, but yeah, Kane, Kane will do. I don't think there was anyone that really came close to him. Um, I think we had a few times where we thought there would be someone worth worth their weight but they're not really um yeah I, i'm really struggling to come up with anything anything more original than kane has harry got any luck on that one music um no i think it should be kane interestingly bringing back my very exciting and useful points per start kane actually ranks fourth amongst forwards behind gabriel jesus ronaldo and jamie vardy None of which breached more than 27 games, though, which is why, again, it should go to Kane just for the amount he's done over the season. And you can actually know that the team sheet's going to come out every week and you don't have to worry about whether your £10 million or plus forward is going to be on it. So, yeah, I think it goes straight to Kane. Yeah, X-Men's are massive, aren't they? That's the thing. I mean, all of those names that you mentioned, they're the players who, if they start, fantastic. Um, but throughout the course of the season for various reasons they weren't in that situation and Kane always sort of was and I think it's been a bit of a it's been an odd season for Kane because I think this is the first season that he's actually underperformed in terms of his expected goals normally he's no performer because of his outrageous finishing ability but it's just not been the case this season for him um, and we were all expecting kind of um a real sort of return to prominence for him to some extent. And of course, 192 points, 17 goals, 11 assists is not to be sniffed at at all. Um, it's just that this year he probably could have scored a few more. Um, I'm thinking of a lot of times when I was watching on as a Son non-owner and Kane captainer, uh, where he fluffed a couple of chances and you got Son scoring the high SG chance, for, sorry, the low SG chance. Yeah, very, very irritating indeed. But yeah, Kane wins by default, I think, in the strike category. Moving on, surprise package of the season. Um, what do you think, Harry? I have two names down here. The first being Joel Matip. Um, I 
think, again, we've spoken a lot about him. I won't bang on about it, but the fact that he scored 170 points, no one really expects him to get consistent starts with Kanate being there and the goal three he's had at the end of the season, he's in there. The other one I've got is Gallagher at Palace. I think, again, recency bias might forget to put his name on this list, but particularly in the first half of the season was someone that a lot of us had quite a lot of joy with, um, scored, you know, good points against some top teams as well, particularly, I think we'll remember him doing really well against Man City in that game. So the two I've gone with were were Matip and Gallagher. There are quite a few who've had pockets here and there. No one's necessarily done it consistently. Bowen, the other one that we've mentioned throughout, I think he's probably been the standout, but maybe not that much of a surprise. I think looking at Bowen, it was possible that he had a season like this, whereas Matip and Gallagher were a bit more unexpected for me. I think there's a bit of hindsight going on there. I don't think anyone expected Bowen to get 200 points plus. Um, so I put Bowen. Yeah, I yeah. Maybe, maybe not 200, but I think it was 170 was reasonable for Bowen. 140 I, last year. I, th- I think 150. I, I think he was sort of an unknown quantity at the start of the year. Remember, there was the Ben Rama craze at the start of the year, and he was being uh, posited as the main guy by uh, certain individuals in the community, which we'll not, we will not name here. Not going to do the dignity of, yeah, I'm not going to do the dignity of naming him. Um, but yeah, you know, Bowen was probably the one who's kind of uh, uh, slightly on the fringes, but I think that his emergence probably has been key. The other one that I just wanted to throw in here was Bernardo Silva from October to December, scoring 66 points in nine game weeks out of nowhere. I mean, that hit me, that hit you, didn't it, Harry? Like, yeah, one of those Honestly. players... Have, have you always see a city player having a Gundawan moment, don't you? As it's now going to be called, and and that was an interesting one where suddenly a player who was not particularly known for much um, in terms of um, getting end product suddenly became the end product king for just a little while. Um, but yeah, I probably agree. It's probably going to be Bowen. And there's definitely a shout for Son there as well, isn't there? Being the surprise package of the season. Next one, it's more fun flop of the season <laughs> Lucy well, who did you have for this one I don't want to make myself very unpopular with Harry but I've got Lukaku written down um, I think a lot of people thought Lukaku would be one of the like people that was hang about shake up the strikers and give us a bit more to work with on the kind of premium striker end and I mean he's been terrible hasn't he I mean he hasn't played and when he does play he looks awful so sorry about that Harry I think the Wolves defence might disagree as well with the Arsenal defence. The other 17 teams in the league might agree with you, but there are at least a couple. I, I agree. I don't think he's been good. Um, I've not gone with Lukaku. I've gone with, I had about 10 names. They all played for one club, being Manchester United, that we could have put in this bracket. And I've ended up with the one being Sancho for me this season. Didn't nearly achieve what I expected him to. We could have gone with a few other names in there. Rashford didn't have a good season. Maguire, don't want to spend too long talking about my thoughts on Maguire as a centre-back, but I've ended up with Sancho for the me being the biggest disappointment from what I thought he was possible of achieving more than anything. He's not had the best season in terms of the chances he's had, the consistency of starts in the team, but compared to where we sat here in August and thinking where who's going to be the top-scoring midfielders, he was not in the names to be top scoring, but we thought he'd do much better than he did. Do we think he might be a bit of a bargain next season? Yeah, I think that's, that's 
going to be that's very interesting. I think mean, if if you employ a coach um, whose claim to fame has won FA Cup effectively in in Germany, um, that's similar to Harry Redknapp's output as a coach, um, and you basically and a, a player a coach whose claim to fame is bringing the team up and making them a decent Bundesliga team, basically the Sam Allardyce of Germany, and you employ them as your manager and see him as the big white, uh, the big white, the great white hope. I think that maybe. Um, it's not been that great for Man United in general this year. Um, and I think it's a slightly dodgy parallel. But I mean, um, but, uh, but I mean that that's kind of uh, that that's point that was made in, in the Athletic, and I think that's kind of it's it's about kind of just it, like making equal points of a kind of achievements. I mean, I know that Ranić is um, apparently the godfather of pressing, for example. Um, but if if you look at what Klopp and um, what Tuchel have said about him, it's because of the ideas rather than the actual outcomes that he's managed to achieve. Like the guy gave up on coaching ten years ago and became a director of football. Um, and it didn't quite happen, did it, for United? That's why I've got Bruno Fernandes as perhaps my main flop of the season to some extent. Um, 151 is still respectable. But last year, this guy was the top scorer in every team throughout the course of the year. Um, compare the data from this season to last season. And it's a, it is, is, it's quite a dive. It really is. Um, decline over the, across the board. Um, caused by the old statesman's arrival, maybe, in Ronaldo and kind of an, a bit of a inchoate, chaotic way of setting up the team. Um, but, yeah, United this year, obviously, were a bit of a train wreck. And I think next year will be really interesting to see how they're priced, really, because, as you said, Sancho could be a really good option if Ten Hag can, play, can sort them out and make sure that he um, hits his potential because he was fabulous in the Bundesliga. His um, goal involvements per game for Dortmund was simply off the charts. Yeah, I think those the Man United team is one of the teams that I'll be looking at in terms of whether there's any kind of bargains. Um, obviously, like a kind of huge gamble in terms of how far off they've been, especially second half of the season. Um, but if Ten Hag can get a tune out of them, then I think they'll they'll all see a bit of a decrease in price and therefore might be the kind of players we can use so that we can get other players in. But I don't know if that's being too optimistic. Donnie van der Beek, back with his former manager, scored on the final day of the season as well. It's written in the stars. He's going to have an absolute wonder season. He's going to be about five and a half million next season as well. <laughs> yeah, get him and Frankie de Jong, get Anthony over from Ajax, get get the old band back together from Ajax. Because... How, how was van der Beek um, priced this season? I don't even know because I never even looked at him. I think it was like 6.5, he... wasn't he? Yeah, and it will for sure go down. Down, yeah. Yeah, that, that'd be an interesting one. I, I think United in general could be quite interesting. I don't know about defence, we'll need to see. Um, but I think, it, as you said, I think Sancho, if he does get kind of eight-ish, that could be quite interesting. The thing is, if you've got a Sancho at eight and you've got Bowen at eight, it depends on the fixtures, doesn't it? If you're looking at yeah. pricing those players. But you could see Sancho having that kind of breakout season. It could be a year of transition for him and it could really happen for him. Uh, but yeah, interesting. Um, quite a few different examples there. So Lukaku, um, maybe Sancho. I think Sancho does make a lot of sense just because the amount of people who are kind of saying, oh yeah, well, Sancho could be my game week one team. Um, last this time last year, or at least later on this time last year, um, and United in general, which is something very good. The final one uh, before we move on to player of the season is cockroach of the year. That one player who's stuck in your team that you just couldn't shift. You know, the sort of player who just hung around, stunk out your team for ages um, and created that uh, kind of player that you had to end up taking minus four or minus eight to remove. And in some cases, um, you removed him uh, to 
be met by a goal and assist by the guy finally. Uh, Harry, uh, what about you? There are three names that I want to put in this. The first one is Bernardo Silva. The first half of the season, I had 10 game weeks where I started with Gundogan. Then I went to Foden. Then I went to Bernardo Silva. I think 10 weeks I owned a Manchester City midfielder. I got a total of one assist from them. So I think those three together go into that bracket. The other one I think everyone is probably thinking is Emmanuel Dennis. I ended up holding him because he had a double. Then he had another double. And then he had another double. And I ended up keeping him. He got sent off. He was my captain, honestly. I think him and the final one is Martin Odegaard. I think I owned him for 10 weeks. Returned four times, three of which were on my bench. And only once he came in off the bench. But Dennis is the one that comes. How on earth he ended up in my team for quite so long because the amount of doubles he had and he didn't do anything in any of the doubles has to be the man that I give this award to. He needed to win some sort of award this season. Um, Without any expletives, it definitely is this one that he gets. Oh, it's Emmanuel bloody Dennis could move to West Ham um, if Sujan Shah at that famous ICK is to be believed. Uh, Lucy, what about you? I actually feel quite bad saying this, but it's Breuer, um or Broja or however you would like to pronounce it, but I will be using the Albanian pronunciation. Um, Breuer, I just think I had him out of hope more than judgment. And the problem was, he, he actually made it to the end of the season for me, I think, uh, mainly because the strikers, as we've talked about, were completely useless. So I, I kind of just got into the habit of playing, you know, two up front. And so he just sat on the bench forever. Um, yeah, didn't really see the point in using transfers on strikers when it got to a certain point. So he just sat there and occasionally came on and did absolutely nothing when I had, you know, a few injuries or absences. Um, don't think I'll be coming back to Saints and um, that's all quite sad <laughs> yeah I had Breuer as well as mine him or uh, Joshua King uh, those are the two uh, that I had in mind I bought Josh King on my game it's when you for wildcard thinking they've got doubles coming up all those, all those bloody doubles and, and he proceeded to absolutely nothing um, for me throughout the course of the season and I had to end up kind of eventually I think I took a hit to remove him I think he survived actually several hits I think he survived three or four and you know what the one thing that really annoys me the one that sticks in mind for me about Josh King is that I sold him and I bought Raul Jimenez the week he got sent off versus Leeds <laughs> so I sold King um, for a minus two which is actually minus six because I sold him for him. There's who end up getting himself sent off a final slap in the face uh, from the Norwegian superstar. So annoying. But yeah, Breuer, I missed all of his returns. I had him for the tail end of the season because he was cheap um, and he was being effectively contained. And to some extent seems to have lost his mojo a little bit. And I think with Breuer as well. Since the Abramovich stuff started, he basically just went really off. off Maybe. I think it's quite distracted by it. Maybe. And the thing with Breuer for me personally was that he was the one who managed to block six pointers, you know, from like sort of, you know, Davis, Martinelli getting a random assist, you know, those sorts of players. 
just through coming on for 10 20 minute cameos um that it was that sort of level um where uh, probably i should have just realized you know what he's point dodging just shoving third bench um but hey it was one of those things honorable mention to my goalkeeper travails this year especially owning vincente guaita i think it's just it was one of those things where you have kind of just one of those moments with a player where you own him you know, every now and again. You, I think you got a couple of clean sheets, which was fantastic. Those are the days when he got a clean sheet, but then Ramsdale would go and pull out a 12 pointer. And uh, then Greater next week, Ramsdale would pull out another 12 pointer, and there'll be Greater conceding in the final minute against Brighton through faffing effectively. <laughs> so buying him was and still is an abominable decision. And um, but I think it, it, it in line with the forwards being terrible um it has to go to a forward this year and for me it's Breuer but I can completely appreciate Dennis as well it's nice to see you've got over Gaeta it's not still uh, haunting you no definitely not definitely not um I think it's more it's more a figure of thumb for me really isn't it one of those players you put in the hall of shame in the rose gallery and you never speak of or think of again bloody Jack button what legend right um let's uh, move uh to the player of the season i didn't own him um for until game week 37 um and as i mentioned i missed out on several points probably looking uh, probably about 80 90 points and i was his punch bag uh for own uh, for, i was an owner's punch bag for the the back end of the season but i mean recency bias aside i still think that son's uh, achievement in terms of this expected goal involvement, his actual goal involvement, what he's achieved this year really makes me think it's got to be Son. Like in the past, I've given it to the likes of Mane um, and Mane a couple of years ago, really kind of put himself out as being a, a competitor comparator to Salah and kind of dropped off but I can't see that with Son I picked him up last year as being kind of on those sort of like um, cut price premiums and then in Talisman Theory didn't follow up this year really just because I kind of went with Kane because his data was always quite good Um, but you've got to give it to Son really for what he's achieved Um, and just the ludicrous um, finishing ability that he's got with both feet as you mentioned Harry and it's, it's you know Performing like that earned Bale a £90 million move to Real Madrid. And Son is obviously 29, not over the hill by any extent. But it's incredible that he's not really kind of been linked to a move away to to one of the bigger kind of leading lights. Yeah, again, we've spoken about him. I think he's had a phenomenal phenomenal season. We have seemed to have written Salah off quite quickly, despite winning the Golden Boot and getting 14 assists this season. Again, he's been so good, you know, coming back on the final day, scoring what Liverpool fans thought was going to be the title-winning goal, but turned out not to be. But yeah, I would just about edge it to Son. Um, Again, with that sort of doing what he's done without penalties, imagine if he'd have taken the ones that that Spurs had this season, he'd have been a way ahead. And again, it's not the... I know sort of Salah's goals have come from penalties. Son scoring outside of the go- outside of the box with both feet just means it goes to him for me for sort of sheer ability on the ball this year. I don't have anything to add other than, yes, Son, I agree. Um, I think maybe when we're looking at data, you know, you're saying, Tom, that you had, you'd owned Kane because his data looked quite good. I mean, Son's proven fairly consistently and it's not just this season that he overperforms XG quite consistently. Um so I'm kind of thinking that when we view Son and look at his data, then he might not quite 
run up to the same standards as other players like maybe we can get away with kind of worse data because he he kind of consistently overperforms and does really well um but yeah that I think Son makes sense for a number of reasons um Salah as you said did really well um it feels a bit boring saying Salah these days I think we've become so accustomed to Salah doing really well that yeah we kind of almost take that for granted um so yeah I I'm, I'm going with Son Cool. Yeah, I'm so Salah's second best season after the 300 pointer. It's always, uh, yeah, you you end up kind of underestimating and underestimating his brilliance to some extent. Yeah. The same way that we underestimated Sergio Aguero's brilliance when he was in the Premier League a lot of the time. I don't think he ever. Uh, he never got any kind of big recognition, did he, Aguero? No, he didn't. But I'm, I'm glad Salah does, and I think that he's definitely worth it. And he said today that he's staying at Liverpool for another season. What that means is obviously up for debate, and um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I can only imagine that you know, next year it's going to be the case that we'll be starting with. Salah and maybe probably Halland or something like that and overlooking Son once more perhaps uh, depending on how the fixtures go right well that is probably your lot in terms of 2021-22 during the summer um, obviously it will um, be fully passed on to Lucy to to join me um, to do um, the summer content few things coming your way uh, we'll be doing uh, some long form pods again the summer specials so last year we did fpl and behavioral science fpl and fandom fpl and analytics this year we've got three more that we'll do like a trilogy you know you've got to do a trilogy haven't you and um, fpl and behavioral science will be coming back and um, with ross fpl raptor and simon march once more the dream team back together and um, with lucy subbing him ably uh, for anthony and um, fpl and itks is the second thing we'll be looking at with Sam Martin and FPL Nima. We're hoping Rockstar will make an appearance in some capacity, probably through like a voice disruptor sort of thing, making sound like Darth Vader. And one more thing we're kind of still working out. Um, with, there will probably be an introduction to Lucy, of course, just so you all get to know a little bit about her. And also we'll be doing our usual preseason stuff. So when the prizes come out, I'll have a little bit of reaction video and just doing some kind of pre a, a, a few preseason things, but I don't like doing the whole um kind of shebang that we've done in the past just because it quickly gets our days it quickly gets done but we'll definitely do a pre-season pod on the price when that comes out and nick will be returning lucy uh, lucy doors early doors because lucy is out the door because she's already decided that she'll have enough by game week one and have a holiday or two and um, so nick will be joining me for game week one two and four i think it is and we'll be kind of popping in and out throughout the course of the season but it remains to say, uh, thanks very much, Harry, um, for all your work over the last 10 game weeks, 11 game weeks, 11 pods. It's been absolutely excellent having you on. Um, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, podding with you. It's been very, very useful to kind of just, just have your views on things. Hopefully next year I'll take your learnings into performing better. Um, but yeah, thank you so much um, for your time. Uh, you're a massive bit de- of gratitude for agreeing to step in uh, when Anthony had to step back. And it's, it's been real. It's been very, very good. Yeah, no, I've really enjoyed it. Um, 10 weeks has been been great. I've enjoyed all the pods. Not sure I could do it for the whole season. Um, these late nights don't don't work well with me, but I've I pushed through, really enjoyed it. Again, turning turning back to the YouTube life now to see how that goes next year. Um, but I will be listening in to see how you, Nick, and Lucy get on next year as well. Uh, it's gonna be quite a I mean, I could just seen like, you know, Harry's got some great insights. So this be a bit of a intimidating kind of thing to step into um but i'm looking forward to it and 
based on this season, I will say that the only way is up for me. But then again, there's a podcast, so maybe it's not up, but we can only hope. Um, but looking forward to it. I'm sure it won't be that bad. All right. One last time. Thanks for listening. We were Who Got the Assist. Hope this is you throughout the course of the series. And thanks so much for listening. Uh, enjoy the break and we'll be back with you uh, during the summer months and definitely uh, when things start to ramp up again. We're all off to enjoy a really nice break. Harry, it's been a great 10 weeks. And uh, to all of you, thank you very much again for listening and we'll speak to you very, very soon. Goodbye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Podcast Network.